Coming up, an all-time classic sets us up for the matchup that we've been waiting and hoping for in Baylor versus Gonzaga for the national championship in college basketball. Major League Baseball moves the All-Star game out of Atlanta and for good reason. The NBA is starting to take into form as it inches closer to the final quarter of the season. And a tradition unlike any other comes back to where it's supposed to as the Masters is set for Thursday as I'll have a preview. Those are just a few of the highlights in a jam-packed, fast-paced podcast just ahead. But first, this message. Hey everybody, Jay Reels here to share a friendly reminder. If this is your first time getting an opportunity to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports, welcome aboard. Or if you've been a long-time listener, not only do I welcome you back, but I want to advise you to all please subscribe, rate, and review the J Reels podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. Of course, this pod is on all platforms. Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, even CastBox, Player FM, and also Amazon Music. For more information on me, the pod, archive shows, etc., you can go to the website at www.jreels.com. I not only host this endeavor, but I independently produce, edit, and write what you read and listen to, so your participation is vital to increase the visibility, fuel the growth and expansion of this platform to those who aren't familiar with it, in turn, to generate interest to those who aren't aware or know of this podcast, especially the former or current athlete, broadcaster, blogger, sports writer, studio host, etc., As I want them to share their experience on the field, the court, the press box, broadcast booth, or in the studio with me, so then I can flip that to you guys and gals to deliver top-notch, fast-paced, entertaining, informative, incredible sports talk unlike any other, for everyone to listen and enjoy and to keep coming back for more on a week-in, week-out basis. I appreciate you all for supporting the podcast. Thank you very much for listening, trusting, and believing in me. And with that said, the J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I got to call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody is well, feeling fantastic as always. April has arrived, the sun is shining here in the Northeast, I hope it's shining wherever you may be, so let's spread some of that sunshine throughout the sports world, as I'm glad you stopped by to let me entertain and inform you on all that's happening, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me for now 188 episodes, I welcome you guys back. It is a Monday, April the 5th in the year of our Lord 2021. Before I get to my J Reels What's the Deal segment... Pardon all of the outside noise, the construction, everything that's going on. I'm sure you probably hear it permeating through your speakers or your earbuds. Hopefully my voice will supersede that. But unfortunately, this is out of my control. I can't do anything about getting these guys out of here or throwing some cold water or even hot water on them to get themselves to shut up so I can go ahead and perform for you guys. But hopefully they'll let up sometime soon and give me a break. So you could be able to hear me crystal clear without any buzzing, sawing, drilling, or anything that's going on 
outside of these four walls. So once again, my apologies ahead of time. My J Reels What's the Deal segment. What's expected on this podcast? This is as follows. Are you into these pro days that have been taking place here with the NFL draft just three weeks away? Me, I'm sick of the attention that it's getting. I'll tell you my reasons why later on, as well as what's going on in the NHL as the Vancouver Canucks are the latest team to be affected by COVID and the first team north of the border for that matter. How does this impact their quest to make it to the postseason? They're six points behind right now, and it looks like they may not make it, but with a division that has six other teams in it, I'm sure it's going to make for interesting scheduling here as we get to the home stretch of the NHL season. As for the NBA, they're starting to percolate a little bit as there have been a couple of interesting developments that have taken place in regards to the playoff races, both in the East and the West. I'll go through the NBA scene later on. Major League Baseball, as the season has begun just a few days ago, they've also decided not to have the All-Star Game in Atlanta due to the state voting laws and everything that's taken place down there. Was that the right move? I'll be sure to share my two cents on that, as well as a preview of the first major golf tournament of the year as the Masters, back in its familiar territory in April. And one of the big storylines is the health of Brooks Kepka as he's determined to get through four rounds starting this Thursday. I'll have all of that, plus my hero and zero of the week. But we're going to start off this podcast in reference to the month of April, how I've always loved this month as being the best sports month of the calendar. And I know people could argue that October's better because you have both the pro and college football seasons already underway four or five weeks in. You have the Major League Baseball postseason that will kick off the hunt for red October, as I like to call it. The NBA and NHL seasons will drop their puck and tip off as well. And yes, that is a great sports month, but to me, nothing beats April. And I understand this year is different unlike any other because you're not going to have an NBA and NHL postseason start here in the next week or two. It's going to be postponed into May. But if this was a perfect and regular calendar year, not only would you have a quest for championships in both the NHL and NBA, you also have the NFL draft, as I mentioned, which is at the end of the month. You have the Masters that's going to kick off here just in a few days. Obviously, the baseball. And then you have March Madness. And as funny as that may seem, because we're already into April, that's the one anomaly that you get because when you... Approach the first Monday of the calendar when it comes to April. And when we look at what took place there on Saturday night, that is the beauty of sports in a big giant nutshell. To watch a team like UCLA, who a lot of people look at them as a Cinderella, they're certainly an underdog considering where they were seated in their region, being a double-digit seed at number 11, and them going through the tournament the way they did, starting off at the first four game against Michigan State, winning that game in the overtime, and then going right through their region to the point of what we saw, not only just on Saturday night, but even a precursor of what you saw in the regional final against Michigan as they went up against the Wolverines. As we all know, they've been heavily favored throughout the year. They even had their own issues that they had to postpone their season with COVID. And for Jawan Howard and company, I know that must have been a tough troop home when UCLA was able to cut down the nets and move on to a Final Four where a lot of people with the blue and maize thought it was going to be their turn to make it back to the Final Four for the first time in about six or seven years. Be it as it may, you get the game there on Saturday night, and as I said before, when you watch sports, and especially the bigger the game, the bigger the stage, when you have a moment like you did there on Saturday night, 
in a game that's not just an all-time classic. It's going to be remembered in the annals of college basketball forever. And as I'm sure while you were watching this game and you looked at how everything was unfolding with the way UCLA was just tenacious in their approach to the game, attacking the basket, making plays defensively, even when they got down seven there toward the end of the second half when it looked like Gonzaga was going to pull away, they came storming right back. And even when they were in the overtime, when it was 90-85 and you thought that, well, this is where Gonzaga is going to pull away and win, that wasn't going to be the case. But this was a game that you had a little bit of everything. You had lead changes. You had momentum swings. You had great defensive plays, especially on the side of Gonzaga down the stretch where you had the block by Jalen Suggs who became the hero at the very end of the game when he made that key block on Cody Riley with about two minutes and change to go when the score was tied. And then what about the charge there in the last possession by UCLA when Johnny Juzang went to the basket and Drew Timmy, who had a fantastic game himself, was able to be right above the arc, draw the charge, ball goes the other way, and of course Gonzaga wasn't able to get the final bucket or the winning bucket to ice the game and move them onto a national championship. Instead, we had five more minutes to go. And even with Gonzaga jumping out quick in the overtime to the point where it became 90-85 to and you're thinking this is going to be UCLA's last-ditch effort to get back in this game. And what did they do? They followed that up with a three. And then at 90-88, to in those waning seconds, where Johnny Juzang takes a shot, gets his own rebound, puts it back with 3.3 to go, and now it's the last-minute blitz down the court by Jalen Suggs and company, and you think, will they have enough time to get a shot off? Suggs does have enough time. It was actually from about 30 to 35 feet. And wouldn't you know, he banks it off the glass at the buzzer, 93-90, bedlam ensued, and UCLA, for everything that they've poured, blood, sweat, tears, went into that game, and knowing that they have to come out of that with just a long flight home and a bitter pill to swallow, it just goes to show you that Gonzaga, with their perfect record and their undefeated season, certainly had their one last gasp to take it not only to a semifinal victory and an all-out battle against UCLA, but now the matchup that we've all been waiting for against the Baylor Bears, who won their game against Houston. Not much to really get into as far as that game goes, but thankfully, the nightcap, the second game, was the one that everybody's going to remember forever. And as I said, that's why we love sports. To me, it's the greatest theater, especially in the big game. In a regular season game, yes, it could have some theater and it can be remembered, but... When baseball's 162 games, and the same for the NBA with 82 games, NHL, we go down on the list. But it's in the postseason. It's when the money is on the line that these games will be revered for a lifetime. And what we witnessed there in those final minutes, and pretty much for the whole game, because it was tooth and nail, it was hard fought. Gonzaga had the biggest lead in the game, as I mentioned, and that was late in the game at seven points. And UCLA did not back down by any stretch. And you got to give credit to their coach who did a fantastic job throughout the course of this tournament. And you just wonder whether or not if UCLA were to win that game, would they have been the team to then knock off Baylor and become a national champion at the end of the day considering the history and the tradition that Westwood, when you think back to, of course, John Wooden, 
Lou Alcindor, Bill Walton, go down down the list. Lucius Allen, Marcus Johnson, it's incomparable when you look at college basketball in the history of the sport. But now you have a scenario where it's Baylor and Gonzaga, and even before I get to that, just watching that game the other night, and I'm going to look at it from both sides, Gonzaga, we were waiting for that test in this tournament, and pretty much all season. Because we know they play in a weak conference. We know that this was a team that was primed to go ahead and make a long run and even win a national title considering how close they were going back a couple of years when they lost to North Carolina. And them just falling short year after year after year. And now this was going to be it. Going into this tournament undefeated. Not really being tested throughout. And a lot of people thought going into this game against UCLA despite them beating Michigan and having all the momentum on their side, you figured that Gonzaga was going to do whatever it takes to not only maybe play a close game, but pull away late and then ease comfortably into a national championship game, which was obviously not meant to be. But when you look at the performances on their team, which is led by Drew Timmy, who had just a phenomenal game, and then obviously the heroics of Jalen Suggs, and you look at what Coach Mark Few has done, not only through this year, but obviously the whole tenure of his 20-plus year coaching career there at Gonzaga. But now they have one more mountain to climb, and that's going to be Baylor. And Gonzaga right now, you have to think that with everything that happened there on Saturday night, and they're going to be the favorite to win the game. It's no surprise. But knowing how close they were to losing this game, how there usually is that always that one game in the tournament that whomever makes it to the mountaintop and puts the trophy or the plaque above their heads, there's always going to be that one game, whether it's in the second round, Sweet 16, regional final, or in this case, the semifinal, that will always be remembered as, ah, that was the one game that catapulted them to a championship and will be remembered more than maybe the championship game itself. And depending on how that shakes down tonight. But you got to give it up to them and what they were able to do. And if there's one, I'm going to say nitpick, but if there's one underlying thing that you can look at this game, especially at the end of that game and say to yourselves, "Mm, you know what? It would have been better if it was just this. If Gonzaga was down by a point or two points going into that final possession where Jalen Suggs banked in that three. So imagine if that game was 91-90 or even 92-90 and then Suggs hits the three. That would have made this game even that much more. And it's already a classic as it is to begin with. But it would have been among the elite. Because that would have won the game. Now of course you could say Jay Reels. But he still won the game anyway because he hit a three-pointer. But then here's the bit of the nitpick that I have. If he would have missed that shot, it would have gone to a second overtime. And then we would have had five more minutes to play out how this game would have ended. And who knows how that game would have ended. Maybe UCLA wins the game. Maybe Gonzaga finally pulls away in the second overtime. Obviously, we'll never know. But because the game was tied, and Suggs, let's face it, to hit a 35-foot shot like that and then off the glass, uh, you can't make it up. It's still Hollywood script drama at its finest. But could you imagine if that game was in the balance where Gonzaga was down by a point or two points? Now, again, if they were down by three, if that would have been the three-point of the tie, of course, that would have been another oh-my-God moment. But that wouldn't have sealed the victory. It only would have prolonged the ecstasy of this game into an overtime. 
So to get a shot like that, as dramatic as it was, but imagine if it was in a situation where they were trailing by a point or two heading into that last possession. That's what would have made this unbelievably epic. As it, If you could get any more epic than that, that would have been the scenario. Right there. But regardless, you certainly had a game for the ages and a moment that's going to last a lifetime in this tournament as probably one of the biggest shots ever in the history of the tournament. This goes up there with Jordan's game winner against Georgetown in the 82 final, and that was for a championship. That goes up against the regional final, Christian Leitner, that shot, which we all know that got a lot of praise and it gets a lot of acclaim, and rightfully so, because that was one of the great games of all time. But guess what? Because this was in a Final Four, and this was to go to a national title game, this heightens and puts it up there amongst the top two or three games of all time. In my opinion. And as for UCLA, uh, what could you say? They left everything out on the floor. They did everything it took. There isn't one head to hang if you're the Bruins and the aforementioned Johnny Juzang. The other performance that I loved in that game too was Tiger Campbell. He was just crafty. Had his moments there early on in the game. And then in the second half just played phenomenally. You also had Jaime Hawkins Jr. play a significant role in what he did throughout the course of this game. What could you say? It it was just a shame that they had to lose. And we all know that one team had to lose. And they didn't deserve to lose when you think about it at the end of the day. They just got beat by a miraculous shot. That's all there is to it. And as much as I'm sure they're still hurting and what could have been, et cetera, et cetera, to snap Gonzaga's undefeated streak, to be a part of history, to be an 11 seed, to play in a national title game with all that history that's just dripping on that campus and with that university not being able to get a shot to win it all, it's going to sting with them for a long time. Uh, How could it not? But like I said, you just look at what they've done and you look at the game on a whole and it's about as great as a basketball game as you'll ever see, pro or college. And that's what I got from watching that game there on Saturday night. And those are the moments as a sports fan, you just look at and you say, this is why I watch sports. This is why I love sports. Because as I said, it's the greatest theater. There isn't anything else that you could watch that could come close to that. Because you could watch a movie, but you could kind of figure out how the ending is going to be. Or a TV show. Broadway show. If you buy music, a song. Nothing compares to watching a live event unfold in front of your eyes and not knowing how it's going to end. Because people could say that, oh, well, eventually Gonzaga was going to win. Well, we don't know that. And as Jalen Suggs was going up the court and knowing that he had to heave a 35-foot shot, nobody knew that that was going to go in. Right, it's 50-50. It's either going to go in or go out, but then it banks off the glass. Jeez, it doesn't get any better than that. And as I said before, and I'll say it again, that's why sports on its biggest stage, when moments like that arise, there's nothing better. And now that leads us to the national championship game tonight, where this is the game that everybody was looking forward to. And I'll say this before I preview it. The one thing that I'm happy that we don't have to kind of worry about, especially when we look at what just happened here with the Super Bowl with the Chiefs and the Bucks, because remember, they played in the regular season that year and Kansas City 
got out to that fast start and then they hung on to win at the end 27-24 and then we know what happened in the Super Bowl. Well, remember on December 5th, Baylor and Gonzaga were supposed to play one another, but because of COVID and having that game canceled, they weren't able to have that early season matchup, which would have been four months ago to the day. But it's great because between the game there Saturday night and tonight's game, so pretty much within a 45 or 46 hour period, we don't have to regurgitate the matchup between Baylor and Gonzaga a thousand times over because we know that this is going to be a separate game. This is a different game altogether. So it's not as if you're going to see these clips or highlights of that game to kind of determine what's going to happen there tonight. Because all you got to do is look at the women's game between Stanford and Arizona. When you see that Stanford won the national title game yesterday and had come into that matchup beating Arizona twice in the regular season before putting the finishing touch in the sweep of the Wildcats. But when you have a scenario where you could look back on a game or two games similar to the NFL, where if you have two teams that have met up in the regular season and however they fared against one another, whether it was one matchup or two, knowing that everybody's going to bank on that one game because of whatever the outcome was that it could possibly be this outcome for a title game. We know not to fall for the okie doke because more often than not, that's not going to be the case. And with the game tonight, I said from the outset a few weeks back, my final four had Baylor and Gonzaga in the final four. I also had Alabama and Oklahoma State, which both teams were long gone. But I did have Baylor and Gonzaga matching up in the championship game to where I had Baylor winning the game. Now, could Baylor still win the game? And that's going to be the big question going into tonight's game because of what took place there Saturday night and knowing that Gonzaga is one game away from immortality. And we'll talk about the possibilities of that in a minute. But Baylor has the talent. We know about their backcourt. We know that They were a team to be reckoned with throughout the course of this year and even with a couple of hiccups that they had in the regular season. Just to get to this point, not only was it an achievement for them, but they knew that Gonzaga was probably going to be the team on the other side waiting for them. And I know that they're going to be feisty and I know that they're going to be ready to go and with all the momentum that's on Gonzaga's side based on their thrilling victory there, how I look at it is is that Baylor is certainly a formidable opponent in this matchup tonight. Because these are the top two teams in the country, bar none. And I'm glad that we have this matchup. But with that being said, I know that this is probably going to be Gonzaga's game to win only because of what happened there on Saturday night. I'm sure that they were not only put to the test physically, but mentally, emotionally, etc. It was probably the worst timing For the Baylor team, and if you're a student or fan of the Baylor Bears, you're probably thinking, oh, geez, how are we going to overcome this? Gonzaga's going to be that much closer to taking this game because of what transpired there a couple nights ago. But I think Baylor is going to put up a good fight here. And would I be surprised if Baylor is going to be in this game in the final few minutes? Absolutely not. But despite me picking Baylor and I got to stick with my choice, I can't flip-flop. That shows zero credibility on my part. But if Gonzaga went away and won by double digits, they had averaged, what, 15-point victories throughout the course of this tournament, but 
if they disposed of UCLA rather quickly and early, I would have looked at this game tonight and said, I think Baylor will definitely have a chance to win this game. And that's not to say they won't have a chance because they're in the game for a reason. But I think the momentum of Gonzaga right now is going to be too much to overcome for Baylor unless they were just flat out exhausted emotionally, spiritually, etc. to the point where if they get out of the gate a little slowly and you have guys like Macy Oteague and Jared Butler start going off early and often and not to say that they can't dig themselves out of an early hole but that would be my only thing where Baylor will continue to put the offensive pressure on them and then Gonzaga is going to have to get off of their heels and get going and will it be too little or too late? That all remains to be seen. But I think this is going to be Gonzaga's night to shine. I think they're going to raise the trophy over their head and be declared national champions of the men's game. And with everybody talking about how if Gonzaga does win and run the table to be perfect and how they'll rank themselves up with the all-time great teams that are undefeated in the sport, the last one being the Indiana Hoosiers of 1976, I won't even go as far as saying that because it's a COVID year and because they didn't play their whole schedule this year that there is an asterisk. Hey, they ran the gamut. They played the teams they were able to play in front of and especially when you look at the game against UCLA the other night, you're going to look at that game forever and say, all right, well, they earned it. Well, the one thing is is that despite them earning it and you got to give them props for it if they do win, but the thing is, to for them to be ranked against the Indiana teams of all time, or even the UCLA teams, Gonzaga, they would be blown out in the first five minutes if they played either one of those teams. And we understand that it's 2021, and all this happened 45 plus years ago with all the teams that have gone undefeated and have won national title games, or the teams that were just considered all-time great teams. So whether you're talking about those Alcindor teams on the Bruins back in the late 60s, early 70s, or even the Walton teams after that. The team of the Indiana Hoosiers 76. You want to look at some of these other great teams that have played throughout the years, the Duke teams, the UConn teams. Unfortunately, Gonzaga, yeah, they're going to be named with those aforementioned universities, but are they just as good, if not better, than those squads? Absolutely not. We cannot get lost or be prisoners of the moment to think that Whoa, Gonzaga, because they're undefeated, they rank with those teams of the past. Yeah, they're in the discussion based on what they've done, but come on, is anybody going to think that if you were to look at those two teams historically, whether it's the old Bruin teams, UConn teams, Kentucky teams, you want to even say the 2003 Syracuse team with Carmelo? I understand they were a one-hit wonder because of Carmelo, but are you going to look at that team being less than the Gonzaga team only because they were undefeated so just something to think about and that's not to throw ice cold water on Gonzaga if they do win the night but it's just fact those teams cannot compare to those teams of the past they just absolutely don't and if you were to rank the top 10 they would be in the bottom if not 10th maybe 9th tops if you want to look at it historically so College basketball, it comes to an end here tonight. I hope we have a very entertaining game. I don't think it's going to be anything close to what you saw there between UCLA and Gonzaga. So if people are thinking, oh, let's hope to get another great game, classic game, you can only pray for anything close to that. 50%, 75%, because if you get anything 100%, 
along the lines of what you watched there the other night, then geez, boy, CBS is going to be doing headstands and cartwheels if you could predict that. But as we wrap up with the college basketball, I know I mentioned the women's game. I want to give them some shine where Stanford won. They beat Arizona for a third time this year. And in the closing seconds, it was nail-biting to say the least where Stanford hung on to win 54-53. It's their first national title since 1992. So 29 years between drinks. Congratulations to the Cardinals there and the women's team for Stanford. And I know there was some controversy, speaking of Baylor on the women's side, where the UConn game, I believe it was on Monday night in the regional final, where Baylor got robbed big time. And it was just sad and unfortunate that was the case because anytime you can get UConn out of the tournament, you know I'm going to jump for joy. I'm sick of them winning all the time. And although they haven't really won over the last few years, but we know the track record of Gino Oriema and the Lady Huskies, but that call in the final seconds of that game was beyond absurd. I, I, even now when I think about it, how do the referees did, did not call that is beyond me. And UConn lived to see another day, but the basketball gods got to them because Arizona ended up beating UConn there on Friday in the final four. So thankfully we weren't able to see the women's team play against Stanford in a final and wouldn't that been something if they would have won a national title game considering that call was for them and not against them Ugh, that would have been a disgrace but we don't have to worry about that so Stanford goes on and wins the women's tournament and then a couple of notes in college basketball where we have coaches moving around I know last week we talked about Shaka Smart leaving Texas to go to Marquette where now his replacement pretty much came right down the street when you think about it, where Chris Beard from Texas Tech goes to now coach the Longhorns. Let's see what kind of success he'll have there as Texas, as we all know, historically in the tournament, have not been able to get over the hump in quite some time. So kudos to Chris Beard. And then I get that once Loyola Chicago lost in the Sweet 16, and a lot of people were looking at Porter Mosier as a guy that he is going to be the next hot candidate to get a job in college, maybe even pros for that matter. Well, after Long Kruger retires at Oklahoma, he transitions in, so he becomes the next coach of the Sooners. So Porter Mosier now is able to parlay his success from Loyola Chicago to Oklahoma. Bigger stakes, bigger expectations, campus, etc. So let's see how he does there moving forward. And that's what we got there with the college basketball, and rightfully so. And if anything were to happen tonight as far as dramatic or anything crazy, be sure to follow me on social media if you don't already do so. On Instagram, JReels or the JReels Podcast. And on Twitter, JReels1, just a number. And on Facebook, the JReels Podcast, as I'll post whatever it is, maybe even a video for that matter, depending on how the outcome of the game is. If Gonzaga wins by 15, I'll post something, but you know I'm not going to reveal anything shocking or post anything that's not going to be news to you guys so if you want to keep your eyes and ears peeled to what it is I have to say about this game for anything that's going to be earth shattering you could go to those sites there as I won't put up a podcast just for the sake of putting up one for the national title game which will take place tonight so now let me turn my attention to the pro circuit because the NBA I think is now getting into a period where we're getting close to the final quarter of the season. I mean, think, there's still 21, 22 games for a lot of the teams here on the schedule. 
But one of the things that I noticed here over the last couple of days is how both conferences are shaping up when it comes to positioning themselves. And granted, we still have another quarter to go. A lot could happen between now and then. But last week, I didn't really touch on it. And with the tournament taking precedent over everything that's happening in basketball right now, it seems like the NBA, nobody's even playing in these games or nobody even pays attention to them. And that sucks if you're the NBA fan, but that's just how it is. And unfortunately, you got to deal with it. But now that college basketball is just about in our rearview mirror and we can look ahead to see what's happening in the NBA, the East is looking fascinating from this regard. One through three, it's going to be pretty much Philly, Brooklyn, or Milwaukee is going to be a top seed as they're separated by just a game and a half and one in the loss if you're the Bucks who re-signed or I should say extended Drew Holiday four years, $135 million, where it potentially could be up to $160 million. So congratulations to him, and that's a big piece. They made a big trade for him. Number one picks going elsewhere, etc. Well, really to New Orleans, because that's who was involved in this trade, of course. But you have seeds four through ten, and the reason why I say through ten, because you have to consider that with the playing tournament, seven through ten. But right now, if you're in the East, Especially if you're Atlanta, Miami, and even Charlotte, who was dealt a serious blow to their quest in making the postseason as Gordon Haywood sprained his foot there a couple of nights ago to where now he's going to be on the shelf for four weeks. And remember, they have LaMelo Ball who's going to be out for the rest of the year with a broken wrist. So that's certainly going to put a damper on their playoff push. But the East isn't any good, as we know, other than the top three teams. But if you're... if Now, we know the East isn't any good unless you're the aforementioned Nets, Sixers, or Bucks. But if you're in the middle of that 4, 5, and 6 group, you have a chance to avoid playing in the 7 through 10 playing tournament because you're going to be sacrificial lambs to either Philly or Brooklyn as of right now. And with the way it's shaping up here where you have five teams, Atlanta, Miami, Charlotte, the Knicks, and the Celtics separated by one game. Now, as I said, there's still a lot of ball to be played here. And anything can happen. Teams can get on runs, winning streaks. Teams can regress, go the other way, fall out of it. Understood. But this is something that you're going to have to pay attention here because with the way that this is starting to shape up, you want to be anywhere between four through six and not be seven and eight. Because even if you played, let's say right now, if the season were to end today, the Pacers would play the Celtics and the Bulls would play the Knicks. Because let's say, for instance, even if you had a situation where the Bulls were to upset the Knicks or the Pacers were to upset the Celtics, as is right now, 7, 8, 9, and 10 are Knicks, Celtics, Pacers, and Bulls. You want to do your best to avoid not having to be a team that's going to have to win two out of three. I don't even know how they're going to do it right now. I think it's going to be two out of three. I don't know if it's just going to be a one-game elimination tournament. I should know that. My apologies ahead of time. But I believe they're going to go two out of three. So not only are you going to have to go through that round, and even if you don't break a sweat, but then you're going to have to go up against either the number one or two seed in the conference. And I'm sure if you're the Knicks, or even, let's say, the Celtics for that matter, who nobody thought they would be eighth in the conference as of today. But you're going to do your best to try to fall within four and six because you're not going to catch the first three teams in the conference. So that's something that we're going to have to keep in mind here when we look at the bottom six or seven seeds here in the bracket. 
because whomever falls between four and six, they're going to have a pretty decent shot to at least be comfortable in their first round. Even if, let's say, if the season ended today, if it's Hornets and Bucks, all right, you're not going to get out of the first round, especially with the injuries that you have. But it's not as if you have to go play an opening round just to get into the tournament and then have to play either the Sixers or the Nets to really start off the postseason. So that's one thing we got to look at there. And then in the West, with the way things have gone down, especially going back to that middle of the bracket, the Lakers have fallen to fifth as of today. And as I said before, once LeBron and Anthony Davis come back, and they could come back the final week of the season, as long as they start off in the postseason healthy and ready to go, it doesn't matter if they're fifth, eighth, or if they happen to zoom to the top, which right now it doesn't look like it's going to be the case. They're seven and a half games behind the Jazz, and the Jazz have put together another winning streak that's unbelievable. But with the Lakers, being a fifth seed is not good for this reason if you're Adam Silver and company in the NBA. Right now, if the season were to end, their first round matchup would be against the Denver Nuggets. And the Nuggets, as we know, they played the Lakers in a conference final last year. I'm sure that's a rematch they would like to have at least in the second round. But let's say if that's your 4-5 start, one of those two teams is going to be gone. And for all intents and purposes, no disrespect to the Nuggets, the Nuggets are going to be gone. And I get that the Nuggets are a team that a lot of people nationally aren't going to wrap their arms around. Because when we look at the West, you're going to look at the Lakers, you're going to look at the Clippers. Some teams may even look at right now the Utah Jazz, the way they're playing, and maybe even the Phoenix Suns because they've just been on unstoppable themselves and what they've been able to do here this season. But the Nuggets are a team that a lot of people think it could go deep into the postseason, and for them to get knocked out early certainly wouldn't be a good look. And then on top of that, let's just say if the Lakers happen to fall below the Trailblazers, and the Blazers are right now just a half game behind them in the Western Conference. So let's say if they were to fall to the six, and with the way things are shaping up now, unless the Clippers have a long run in front of them, They are two and a half games behind the Suns in the standings, but four in the loss. So you may have a situation where the first round could be Lakers-Clippers. And we saw what happened there yesterday, where the Clippers pretty much upended the Lakers without LeBron and AD in a 104-86 cakewalk of a victory. But when you have everybody back in the fold, And to have round one Lakers-Clippers, that's also going to be bad for the league because guess what? One of those two teams is going to be knocked out. So if you're Adam Silver and company, right now you are, I'm not going to say shaking in your boots just yet, but you have to look at that with almost a quarter left to go in the season and say to yourself, man, I hope the Lakers could somehow get up to a three seed and maybe the Clippers at four, Denver at five even though Denver and the Clippers in the first round, and that would be an interesting matchup based on what happened last year. But again, you can have one of those two teams knock itself out because the Jazz and the Suns, they're not going to slow down anytime soon. And interestingly enough, the Jazz play in Phoenix on Wednesday night, so that's going to be a little game to watch if you're a big Hoops fan to see how Phoenix matches up against the Jazz where they had a scare in their own right last week and that had nothing to do with what happened on the court. But in a flight leaving Salt Lake City, they had an encounter with some birds that, for whatever the reason, interfered with their flight. They had an engine blow. They had a situation where the plane had to go back on an emergency landing, 
where some of the players on the team thought that this was going to be it, that this was the end, to where being interviewed, a lot of the team was frazzled, a lot of the players had to really count their lucky stars to know that this happened pretty much right at takeoff or soon after takeoff where they were able to divert and go back and land safely and not have to worry about having to deal with any catastrophic incidents up in the air. As it is right now, Donovan Mitchell and company said that the team is in a good place, that they were able to get past this and hopefully moving forward, they won't have to deal with this. And thankfully, it wasn't worse than what it was. So thankfully, they're okay. And freakishly, if there was anything that was going to stop the Utah Jazz, I guess it was going to be a flock of geese or birds or whatever it was. But let's just uh, exhale as that wasn't the case. But Utah and Phoenix, it looks like that may be your one-two unless the Lakers get healthy quick, fast, in a hurry. And I don't see that happening. As I said weeks ago, they should just take their time to get back. And even if they get a few games under their belt before the start of the postseason, they'll be raring to go. You don't have to worry about them. And with the Clippers, now with Rondo in the fold, and I know that was a big story yesterday where Paul George even said that Rondo's leadership and just his presence has already made a difference here in his week as a member of the Clippers. And even though he's still getting to learn the playbook and getting to learn his teammates, etc., but that could be the biggest trade to happen here if the Clippers have a deep, long postseason run in their sights. And as we well know and have documented on this podcast time after time going back to the postseason last year the Clippers have never made it to a conference final and with all the expectations going back to last summer and having the team as it's been constructed with Kawhi Leonard Paul George etc and now bringing in Rondo for a very popular player at that and one Lou Williams but you know what that's a trade you're going to make 10 times out of 10 only because of the pedigree and the championship medal that Rajon Rondo provides. So let's see what that does for a Clipper team that is desperate to get themselves not only just to an NBA final, but to a conference final. And then the 7, 8, 9, 10, if you want to say the same, to me it doesn't have the same impact because, as I've said before and I'll say it one more time, I got to see Utah perform like this in the postseason. And not just for the first round or second round, you cannot have the best record in the league and then be bounced in the second round or even the conference final. All right, it could happen. Look at the Bucks a couple years ago where they were 62-20. and 20. They had a 2-0 series lead against Toronto and then they got swept right out of the conference final and that was the year that Toronto won the NBA championship. So all you can look at right now if you're a Jazz fan is when the postseason starts because all the success that they're having now, it'll mean nothing if they don't translate that into the postseason. And you know what? I'll even give the Suns a pass in this first year. Now granted, they're putting up a tremendous record. They've shut me up because I know prior to the start of the season, a lot of people looked at them as a trendy pick and I said, I don't know. They do have the young players there with DeAndre Ayton and obviously Devin Booker and with Chris Paul and that trade and his veteran leadership and everything that he brings to the table. I thought that they were going to be better. I didn't think that they were going to be this good. Now again, I got to see this in the postseason and we all know that's a whole different ball of wax at that time. But this is where the NBA now will start to percolate a little bit because although there's still a month and change to go and although there's a lot of basketball that remains to be played, but these are some of the storylines you're going to have to look at here in both of these conferences where four through eight falls in the Eastern Conference and avoiding having to play Brooklyn and Milwaukee in the first round 
or in Philadelphia for that matter. And then in the West, where the Lakers lie because if they're fifth and they go up against, let's say, even the Nuggets or the Clippers for that matter because Denver could certainly catapult themselves to the third seed and have a first-round Lakers-Clippers or Lakers-Nuggets or even Nuggets-Clippers, that's going to be something that the league's going to have to swallow and it may be very bitter for them to do so because that means one of those three teams are going to be gone in the postseason after the first round. So we'll certainly keep our eyes on that. But other news and notes in the league, relatively quiet. I know you had the exchange there if you want to get into this Kevin Durant with Michael Rappaport. I don't follow Rappaport on social media. I know he has his profane tirades about the previous administration when it comes to this country and a lot of the things that he wants to needle and get his jollies off of. Uh, Listen, I got nothing against the guy, but it's in one ear and out the other. You know, and Durant, he should have taken the high road. I know he said some things that warranted that $50,000 fine and he actually could have got suspended for because there were some anti-gay and some comments that were misogynistic that he certainly would love to have taken back. He did apologize for it and obviously not a good look. I'm a little bit surprised considering the climate that we're in that there maybe wasn't a suspension that's going to be handed down. But hey, be that as it may, he had that situation with KD. And then you also have, speaking of the Sixers, Joel Embiid back in the mix where he played on Friday night, scored 24 points against the Timberwolves, had a back-to-back, didn't play the following night where they lost to Memphis. Oh, I believe they lost to them yesterday, excuse me. But now let's see if Embiid could pick up where he left off on his MVP candidacy as the Sixers right now currently even with the Brooklyn Nets at the top of the Eastern Conference. So that's what you pretty much got there. Now, let me turn my attention to baseball. I'll get to the hockey in a minute, and I'll also get to the football and the golf as the Masters will kick off this week before we say goodbye. But I want to get to the baseball because early on, am I going to get crazy about some of these starts, whether you're the Baltimore Orioles 3-0, sweeping the Red Sox and Fenway over the weekend? Kudos to them. A lot of people aren't expecting the Orioles to do anything, and they come to the Bronx tonight to play the Yankees, and the Yankees have gotten off to a slow start, so we'll see how they perform here over the course of the next three days and see if they can carry this winning streak against the Yankees. Red Sox 0-3 for the first time. I believe the second time to start their season to go 0-3 at Fenway in their illustrious history. So will the Red Sox be able to pull themselves off the mat as Tampa comes to town this week? You also have the Phillies off to a 3-0 start at the expense of the Atlanta Braves who are now 0-3. All close games, but the Phillies, as they look to try to make their mark here early on, And if there's a team that needs a quick start, it's them. Because as we've seen over the last couple of years, they have gone off the fast starts and then fizzled out the end, more so with Gabe Kapler than with Joe Girardi at the helm. And Girardi just got there last year. We know 60 games. Can't really put it all on him. But for the Phillies to get off to a good start. And funny enough, the Phillies will host the Mets starting tonight where Jacob DeGrom will get his first start because they're getting their season underway because of what happened there with the Nationals where they had a million COVID tests I don't want to say a million that's too strong but they had four COVID tests where they had to wipe out the whole opening series for the Nationals this week wonder how that's going to do for the Mets as they take their team up the turnpike from DC to Philadelphia we'll see how that unfolds there as they start their season in the city of brotherly love and then the Braves will take the trek down the turnpike to the Nationals Park where they're not even going to play tonight. 
Tonight's game is postponed. They're going to start their season hopefully tomorrow afternoon at 4.05. So just a lot of craziness to start this season where you have teams at 3-0 and that were unexpected and 0-3 and also seasons that haven't begun just yet. And I tell you, if this is how the MLB season is going to be, we're not even just getting started. So let's see how that shakes down. But the big story coming out of the weekend was what took place with the MLB and their decision to get the All-Star game out of Atlanta, as well as the draft, because I guess they were having the draft down there, which is news to me, because I thought they held the draft in Secaucus at the Major League Baseball Studios or the Major League Baseball Network Studios. And for them to do that, not only was it the right thing, but it's a good thing. And for two reasons. One is the obvious, and I'm not going to try to get all political or break down the whole voting system as to what's going on in Georgia. But if you've been paying attention to the news and not just recently, but going back to the presidential election and then the runoffs in January on how the voting laws are just absolutely screwed up there to the point where it's illegal. And I think they may have revised that over the course of the last couple of weeks, but where there was a time where you couldn't even hand out water or food to those who are waiting in line to vote where you could actually get arrested for that? I mean, are they just making this up? I mean, how is this possible? I think they've rescinded that. I think they've made that to the point where that's not going to be the case. But we all know the voter suppression that's happening in Georgia, where you have to stand online for five hours at a time, or you have to travel an hour and a half just to be able to vote, and what it's going to do, especially for the minority vote, which was astronomical. Not only for the presidential election, but of course the runoffs there in January. So for Major League Baseball to have the foresight to look ahead and say, we don't condone or we certainly don't approve of the laws that are taking place in Georgia where they want to do the right thing and withdraw the All-Star game from there and put it to a site that has not been disclosed as of yet. I think it would be LA only because the game was supposed to be there last year and why not? Might as well just put it there. I get it, it's coast to coast. Maybe they want to try to do something that's closer to Atlanta so they don't have to pretty much uproot everything. Granted that they still have a few months to go. I mean, the game isn't until the middle of July, but maybe just to make it as seamless as possible, they won't travel across the country to have the All-Star game. I think that would be the best choice. But it was wise for them to make this decision now as opposed to getting deeper into a season when you get into May, June, and July, and then to make a RAS decision, and then everybody will be in, uh, in an uproar over it. So a smart number one. And then number two, just from a business side, they know that if this game was to be taking place in July, and especially some of your prominent players who are either African-American or even of Latin descent, so if your name is Mookie Betts, if your name is Aaron Judge, if your name is Giancarlo Stanton, Uh, You could just go down the list of players of color who may look at the All-Star game and say, all right, I was voted in, but I'm not going to go based on all the voting laws that are taking place down there. Then at that point, your hands are tied if you're Major League Baseball because you could kowtow to the players and we know that the commissioner is not going to run to Tony Clark, the head of the players union, to say, hey, can we please have these guys show up there, and especially when Tony Clark is African-American. So for them to avoid that and 
take care of that as swift as possible as they did last week, I thought was just a tremendous boost. Now, it does suck for the business owner, for all of the bars and restaurants around Truist Field. I know with SunTrust, they just changed, they just got that ballpark five minutes ago and they already changed the name, which is, I mean, please. Let me not get started on that. But for all the tens of millions of dollars that it would bring to that area, to the city, etc. Now, the rug has been pulled out from under them. They have a legitimate gripe, understood, and there isn't anything baseball can do about it. Maybe they'll do something in the long term as far as maybe to those businesses or to the area to funnel some money that way. Who knows? Obviously, that's well above my pay grade, but I thought Major League Baseball did the right thing, not only for the reasons that I mentioned with all the voting laws there, but also doing it when they did because now they could push the game somewhere else and also be able to have enough time to get themselves situated, to get themselves prepared for a Midsummer Classic in whatever city that they plan to choose. And I would think it'd be LA, that's going to be my prediction now, but I wouldn't be surprised if they pick a team here in the East Coast or pick a city, I should say. So we'll have to wait and see how that unfolds. Now, you also have the other thing is, for those who are sure will probably ask or say, well, Jay Reels, okay, what does this mean for the Atlanta Hawks? Or what does this mean for the Masters that they're going to be playing there this week? Now, the Masters have said they're going to go ahead and play. And we all know the Masters, they dance to their own beat. They have their own set of rules, which a lot of people are going to totally disagree with. So whatever it is they want to do, to me, they're almost bulletproof when it comes to this. So as far as the Hawks go, right. If you're Trey Young, if you're a lot of the players on the team, are you going to take it to heart? Who knows? Now, you know they're not going to sit out because of the paychecks that they won't be able to cash if that's the case because of this. So for those who are passionate about it or for those who are on the team, or part of the organization that feels as if, you know what, maybe I should take a stand and step back. Well, that means they're going to lose a paycheck. Are they willing to go that far to do so? And of course, the Hawks aren't going to shut down and uproot somewhere. I mean, please, you think that that's going to take place? Absolutely not. Unfortunately, it's going to be business as usual. And we can't even look at those teams, or golf in this case, as an example for them to take a stand or to do something about it. The tournament's there for four days. They're in and out of Augusta. In the blink of an eye. The NBA, the Hawks, all right, they may have a postseason run, but what are you going to do? It's their job. It's a livelihood. They're just not going to all of a sudden bow out and think that, no way, I don't want to be a part of this organization anymore. Trade me because of the voting laws. That's not going to happen. And because the All-Star game is an event that takes place over a couple days, Major League Baseball has the wherewithal and, of course, the, as I said, foresight to withdraw themselves from playing the game there. That was similar to what you saw years ago with the NBA did with Charlotte, I believe it was it 2017 off the top of my head where they didn't want to play the All-Star game there based on a lot of the rules of gender with the bathrooms and people who are part of the LGBTQIA movement that they were staunch in not playing the game down there based on their feelings, their thoughts and some of the laws that take place in North Carolina as far as that goes. And you know what? If they did that because that's what they felt, then kudos to them. They moved the game elsewhere. So Charlotte lost out. And I believe since then they have either changed it or revised it. Who knows? So NBA did it with their game. Major League Baseball could do it with their game. 
Now I have a problem with it. But other things from the past few days, I know also the Astros give it up to them 4-0. Great start by the Strohs as they were harassed all weekend by the Oakland A's fans. And then you also had a retirement there where the Angels, as we all know, they're desperate for pitching. One of their relief pitchers in Ty Buttrey leaves the game at the age of 28. He feels that the game is much more of a business than less of a game. The game he grew up with and now with the way the, I guess the business side of it has impacted his thought process. He just feels that he's had enough. So, hey, he has the right to do that. That's how he feels. You know, more power to him. You know, but we'll see how long that will last or could last as uh, as we've seen time and time again sometimes with players. They may say, ah, and then next thing you know, they're looking for a paycheck. And speaking of the Angels, you had Shohei Otani had a historic start last night where he not only pitched in the game, but also was a participant in the lineup, batting second and hit a long home run there last night. He left the game in the fifth inning as he was covering a play at the plate where Jose Abreu spiked him. He should be fine. He had to leave the game just for precaution's sake. So the allure of Shohei Otani was in full blossom. He didn't really pitch great in the game yesterday. And I didn't watch just based on his numbers. But he did throw 101 on the gun. Hit a home run if you want to get crazy about the exit velocity, which you know I do not. But kudos to Otani. And they're going to need him in the worst way. Maybe more so on the mound than at the plate. Because as we all know, the Angels are just desperate for some starting pitching. So we have that there. And quickly, I'm going to talk about Francisco Lindor. I'm not going to shed a lot of light on this. I was going to post a video the other day, but I figured, ah, he signed on the dotted line. It would have been more news if he didn't sign. But 10 years, $341 million. He says he's going to be a bad MFer at the young age of 38 when his contract will expire after that season. All I can say is, let's just hope he produces more than he does not. And I'm not just saying this year. Next year, let's just hope that for at least 60% of this contract that he lives up to his top 10, top 15, top 20 player billing here in the major leagues. Because if it doesn't, the contract is going to be a disaster. So when you look at the contracts of $240 million for 10 years, a la Albert Pujols and Robinson Cano, granted they got those contracts at the tender age of 32, not 28, that Lindor will start to embark on but again usually the back ends of these long deals are just interminable as for the Met fan although Seattle has paid part of it and they don't have to worry about it this year but they still have two more years of Cano at 20 million per and you're more than likely going to get low to no production for the dollar just something to keep in mind as we move forward here with the Mets and Lindor's contract but I'm glad he's in the fold I didn't think he was going to go anywhere yeah, last week I talked about it. I was like, eh, we'll see. But there was still a window where they were going to negotiate. And thankfully, the Mets were able to get their man at the sum of $341 million. Oh, and then lastly, you also had this Yermin Mercedes start off a season 8 for 8, where it's the most consecutive hits to start a season since 1900. I believe the other was somewhere, I think, in the 30s, where. That player started off 5 for 5. Well, that was overtaken by an 8 for 8 start from the DH of the White Sox. So, congratulations to him for those who are following such stats. All right, now let me turn my attention to the NHL because you have a story that's taken place north of the border for the first time 
where COVID has impacted one of the NHL teams there, and that is the Vancouver Canucks, who over the weekend had seven more players come down with this Brazilian variant, which I guess somehow, some way, made its way up to the Pacific Northwest. So now you have more than half the team and three coaches that are on the COVID list where games are now canceled through Thursday. I believe they're going to open the facility tomorrow unless that may change and you would think it would barring anything happening as far as the health of these players go. But with the NHL already losing 37 games earlier this year and we know who the teams are, the Dallas Stars of the World, the Devils, the Flyers, Buffalo Sabres, Bruins, just a ton of teams have been impacted by this. So now as you get late in the season and as you're thinking, if you're Gary Bettman and company, like, okay, is the worst over? Can we just get through this season without a hitch and maybe just start a postseason where everybody's healthy and raring to go? Well, now you have the Canucks and they're a team that's on the outside looking in for the postseason and they have not been playing well. Not only that, but they have a ton of games in hand, I believe, with the Canadians. Now, the Canadians are ahead of them in the schedule. Right now, as I look, the Canadians are fourth in the North, and we all know the top four teams in each of the divisions make it to the playoffs. But the Canucks are currently six points behind them, and the Canadians have three games in hand. So with them being out, maybe it will help them a little bit so where the Canadians could start to inch closer as far as the games played being concerned. But it looks like it's going to be a tough task to go through right now if you're Vancouver just trying to get through these games, get healthy, and maybe even make a push to be the fourth seed in the Northern Division. Because right now, the North is looking like it's going to be Toronto, Edmonton, Winnipeg, and Montreal. Unless one of those teams come back to the pack. Edmonton and Winnipeg are tied at 47 points there, so they could flip-flop. But the Canadians, who right now have the fourth seed, and I don't know the schedule yet, As to how many games Montreal has with Vancouver. That's going to be key. As far as their head-to-head matchups. But with the Canucks right now. You're just trying to get healthy. As soon as you possibly can. And to think. These new variants that have been popping up all over the place. Well here it is now. In Canada. And who knows. What that's going to mean. Not just for the Canucks. But maybe for other teams. Moving forward. And. The Stars, as I mentioned before, they've had their issues with COVID and now their head coach, Rick Bonus, had to be pulled from the game there yesterday, I believe in the second quarter or second period, excuse me, where he had to be pulled in the second period because of a false positive test that's come back. They have to take precaution, of course. We know that their goalie, Anton Kudobin, is also on the COVID list as he hasn't been in the lineup. And Dallas, as I said before, they've been ravaged with COVID as they didn't even get to start their season until about eight or nine days into the start of their season. What was that, back on January the 13th? So Dallas, they have to deal with this yet again. And as we go through it here, with the trade deadline a week away, and it's going to be interesting to see which teams are going to Make some deals. I know the Islanders with Anders Lee being on the show for the rest of the year. They have a $7 million exception to bring players or a player in. So we'll see what Lou Lamarillo does as the deadline, I believe, will be at what? 4 p.m. a week from now. But when we take a look here in Dallas, as we look at the Central, and guess who's at the top? We've talked about this for weeks on end where the Central whether it's one week Tampa, and they've pretty much been the 
first place team throughout but you've had the Carolina Hurricanes be a part of that first place mix intermittently although Tampa has been the pretty much the front runner there in the central but now you have the Florida Panthers and remember a couple weeks ago they lost their best defenseman and one of the best in the league and one Aaron Ekblad well their six game winning streak has propelled them to a two point lead over the Tampa Bay Lightning here in the central so very intriguing how things have shifted things have changed and a very interesting week upcoming for the Panthers the Florida Panthers that is as they have two games against the Carolina Hurricanes starting tomorrow so who knows by the end of the week you may have the Panthers there at the top spot and also the Panthers believe it or not they still have not one not two not three not four but potentially five games left with the Tampa Bay Lightning and the reason why I say potentially is because they had a game postponed already as it was they're putting that at the end of the schedule where I believe the season ends Saturday May 8th so Monday the 10th would be the final game that they'll match up and I guess it depends on how close they are if they're even in the standings or let's say if Tampa is two points behind them or a point behind them obviously we have to see how that uh, takes place but when you look at the Panthers and what they've done here and the job that coach Joe Quenville has done not only just this year but just revamping the Panthers on a whole and bringing his championship experience to that team they've done a masterful job so you got to give it up to them and the stars right now in that division they look like not only are they on the outside looking in right now but with the Predators being the fourth seed at 41 points Blackhawks 39 stars they have a shot there but they still have to leapfrog over two teams so we'll continue to keep our eye on that now as we move to the east it's going to be very interesting to say the least where the Islanders are going to be playing the Capitals four times within the next two and a half weeks including a game tomorrow night but they have three consecutive games later in the month I believe starting April 24th both of those games are at home and the third game is in Washington so those are going to be games to keep an eye on if you're an Islander fan and the East on a whole where the Bruins have slipped here over the course of the last few weeks and we know that they've also had to deal with COVID and a lot that they've had to endure here as a team where they have a lot of games to make up and right now they're at 43 points where you have the Capitals at 54 Islanders 52 Penguins at 50 now the Islanders are done with the Penguins this year thank God there were two and six against them this year so you don't have any more matchups against Sidney Crosby and company but with the Capitals and a lot of games with them that lie ahead they certainly have control of getting the top spot in the East Whereas the bottom rung Flyers, four points behind the Bruins, as well as the Rangers. So let's see if they make a push and maybe even make a trade or two to get themselves in good position to make a run here at the postseason. We talked about what's happening in the North. Out West, Colorado has played very well as now they're the front runners there up the top of the West. Followed by Vegas, Minnesota, Arizona, and then you have St. Louis who have really been playing poorly as they've lost six in a row here throughout the last couple of weeks followed by San Jose and then the rest of the division you can pretty much forget but you do have some interesting races not a lot of drama I get you could look at the east and even the central those are probably the most two exciting divisions to keep your eye on out west the western division as well as the north a lot of people may not take stock and who knows a lot could change we'll see but that's pretty much what you have there with the NHL as other news and notes, I know Buffalo finally snapped that 18-game winless streak. They've been just uh, been pathetic all year long. 
not only did they beat the Flyers to snap their streak, but they also beat the Rangers there, which is a big blow for the Rangers as they try to make their way to the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference. But uh, besides that, that's all you have there with the National Hockey League. And now as I turn my attention to the NFL, and I'm sorry, people, I'm going to be in the minority when it comes to this. Well, before I even get to that, I'm not going to introduce the NFL segment with anything that has to do with Deshaun Watson. We know there are lawsuits up the wazoo, all these accusations, etc. I know that a Sports Illustrated article came out where a woman who's not even looking to sue Deshaun Watson gave her account on some of the behavior and the actions that the embattled quarterback of the Houston Texans is going through. So she doesn't even want any money or doesn't even want to press any type of charges, but that's just one account of the dozens, it seems, that's going up against the star of the Houston Texans. So until some of this stuff could be substantiated and quantified, clarified, you name it, there really isn't anything to go into this. There really isn't. So that's the one thing I just wanted to jump off and just get that out of the way. But the thing that really has me bothered and for the millions, and I get the NFL fan out there and me being in the minority when it comes to this, to have these pro days, which is going to get a lot of pub only because there was no combine this year and we understand the reasons why. We don't have to get into it. But all these pro days that have been taking place where you've had your Alabama pro day, you've had your Clemson pro day, you had this school, that school, etc. down the line. And when all the reports coming out of it, wow, Mac Jones, he's a guy that's going to probably head up the draft boards or wow, look at the throw day that this guy had or Trey Lance or the kid from BYU, Zach Wilson. I hate to say this, people. I do not care. It's so bad that ESPN in particular, and remind you, baseball is on their network too. But ESPN, on the day of opening day, where it's supposed to be all confetti and rainbows, that everybody's supposed to rejoice because although... It's not 75, 80 degrees throughout the whole country, but spring is here. Baseball, when it's part of our conscious, we know that warmer days lie ahead. And for them to, on all their shows, dissect these pro days and which quarterback's going to go where and, oh, this guy's moving up the draft board. and it, Give me a flipping break. I couldn't care if they were throwing the football in my backyard. I pull the blinds because let's face it, people. I understand that the NFL is a 12 month news cycle. I get it that the NFL reigns supreme. I get it that it's all about the NFL. All these talk shows, first take undisputed, whatever these talk shows that I don't even spend a nanosecond watching. And that's the truth. But for them to big up football now in their dead period and push baseball to the side, which I get that it's a sport that, It's more for the older folk. It's not for the younger folk. It's not going to bring that young fan to the set to watch. Sadly, the fans want to hear more about KD and his exchange with Michael Rappaport than they want to hear about, oh, what's going to happen here on opening day when it comes to teams like the Baltimore Orioles who are now 3-0 in the AL East. And is it going to sustain? Of course not. But again, they're not going to highlight that. We get it. It doesn't bring ratings. But this stuff with the NFL draft and it's not even here and these pro days, give me a break. 
It's just a complete waste of time. Because if Zach Wilson gets chosen by the Jets at number two, and he plays throughout the year, and in the game against New England sometime in mid-October when he's throwing four interceptions and he's getting sacked seven times, is anybody going to remember his throw day on March 31st? Is anybody going to remember Trey Lance throwing for 80 yards on a dime when he's holding a clipboard on the sideline on whatever team he gets drafted by? It's an absolute joke. You know, that should be the fifth or sixth story that goes on in the new cycle. But no, it has to be number one because the NFL and we understand that they're in bed with the shield. Understood. But no, sadly, it's let's push all the other sports aside, except maybe basketball because we have to have our basketball takes. But baseball, oh, who cares? Nobody cares about opening day. Nobody cares about what's happening on the diamond. Let's talk about Mac Jones' throw day. Oh, jeez. I'm just sick of it. And this is one of the reasons why I can't stand the NFL. Because, and I get they have the power, unlike any other sport in this country and pretty much throughout the world. But jeez, man. They just leave other sports in its wake. And I'm just tired of it. That's why I love baseball. That's my first level overall, people, as you may or may not know. But that's why I don't look forward to football season. Because what that means is that summer's over, colder days lie ahead, and yes, I'll be ready week one in the NFL season, don't get me wrong. But when all this talk about training camp and exhibition, ah, please, give me a break. Football season, I can wait. I won't even look at the time to worry about football season. When it comes, it comes. But that's unfortunately the sports world that we live in. It's NFL and everybody else is paying rent. So I just had to throw in my two cents about that. So, But uh, other than that, Tyler Lockett gets a $69.2 million extension for the Seahawks. So who knows what that means for Russell Wilson. In the long term, we know about the rumors there, which obviously they've cooled off, thank God. But you have that. And one thing I didn't talk about last week, which I'll spend 20 seconds on, the Washington football team, they may keep that as they actually like how it sticks. They like how it sounds. Can you come up with a nickname, please, for your team? Yes, I understand we've become adjusted and acclimated to it. And does it have a little bit of a ring, so to speak? It does. But oh, what's going to be next? You know, a team's going to move somewhere. And oh, we're going to be the Phoenix soccer team. Or let's say, well, Seattle has their team, the Kraken, the new NHL team. But what? Now there's going to be this trend where these teams are going to be in Limbo, and case in point, what about the Cleveland Indians? They're going to change their name after this year. So what, they're going to take their time to come up with a name? Or if they don't, they're going to be the Cleveland baseball team? Uh, Please. That's all I got to say about that. Come up with a name, people, please. And then to close us out here, we'll get into the Masters for a couple minutes because just five months ago, we had a Masters which we saw a Dustin Johnson win. He finally was able to get that coveted green jacket. And it might as well felt like three weeks ago because that's how fast this turnaround time is between the match in Augusta there in middle of November to now, here we are just days away from getting the golf major circuit jump started for 2021. And all I can say about it is that I'm looking forward to watching it. I did follow it, of course, in November, but... When you have these events thrown off the way they were because of COVID, it's kind of hard to grasp even as big as an event as the Masters. Because when you think of the Masters in April, 
you think of the azaleas, you think of the greenery, you think of how just throughout the country, even if it's cold in your neck of the woods, or if it's a little chilly, doesn't have that spring-like feel, when you watch the Masters, you get that sense and then some. And although I didn't really watch day by day, of course, as we got into the weekend, you know, I'm going to follow it. But now I can really set my sights on how this tournament is going to unfold. And you have a lot of interesting storylines with the first one being Brooks Kepka, who had knee surgery last month to repair a ruptured kneecap. And he even said that he's going to be raring to go. Now he's going to have to go a few practice rounds to make sure that everything is 100%. But I cannot see him not foregoing this tournament because we all know this is a tournament that every golfer wants to be a part of. That's not a knock on the PGA. That's not a knock on the Open, the British that is, or even the US Open for that matter. But everybody wants to be at the Masters. This is the Super Bowl of golf, if you will. And for Kepka, as we all know, has been a very good player here over the years, looking to get an opportunity to win a green jacket. He's going to do whatever it takes to get on that first tee there come Thursday morning or afternoon whenever he's ready to set off the tournament. With that being the big story, you also have Bryson DeChambeau, who came off of that U.S. Open right up the road here in Mamaronek, did not have a good performance in the Masters there in November, but now you wonder whether or not this is going to be his time to really rake and tee off and put the course to its knees so he could win that first green jacket because there's a lot of people that like his style of play, that old grip it and rip it, a la John Daly from back in the day, and him just being a little bit brash and bravado where I know the older golfer or golf fan may not like that. So with him, Dustin Johnson having to defend for his title just literally not even a half a year beyond him winning this tournament. Also have other guys like Tommy Fleetwood who's always been a guy that's this close and seems to fall short. Or Lee Westwood, another guy who always seems to be at the top of the leaderboard come Sunday and he, for whatever reason, doesn't make it to the 18th with a chance to win the tournament on a whole. Of course, you look at Rory McIlroy, who's had his slumps and his history here on this golf course. For him to try to win his first green jacket, Justin Thomas and everything that he's done here so far in the early part of this golf season. You have a lot of guys here, and I'm not even mentioning some of the others. The Ricky Fowlers, who's looking for his first Grand Slam, or really his first, uh, yes, his first Grand Slam and his first Masters, of course. Also, another guy like Tony Finau, Adam Scott, Jason Day, and the list goes on. And I'll be fascinated to see how this plays out here starting off Thursday morning. But the one guy I I think I'm going to look at here, now Dustin Johnson, I could see. You know, this wasn't something that he sat on for 12 months. I'm sure this is going to be sticking, I don't want to say in his craw, but this is something that he's probably going to look at and say, hey man, I just won this five months ago. Why can't I win this sucker again? But when it's all said and done, I can see Bryson DeChambeau being close, if not at the top of this leaderboard when it's all said and done. Based on what I said about Dustin Johnson, a little bit of a short memory, coming back to this course where it seemed like five days ago, let alone five months, Bryson DeChambeau probably having that same outlook where, hey, I felt like I was just here yesterday, now I'm going to come out put a strong arm on this course see if I could go ahead and dominate and be the player that he has been here over the last 12 to 18 months or so 
So I could see one of those two players. Justin Thomas, too. I mean, you can't forget him. The guy's just been phenomenal here. John Rahm is another guy, ranked third in the world, who just, he and his wife had a baby here on Saturday. So I'm sure he's going to be full of glee and ready to maybe win for his family to try to get himself a Masters victory under his belt. A lot of interesting storylines here. And I think it's going to be DeChambeau at the end of the day. And I'm not a fan of his. I really don't like that attitude that he has. So for all intents and purposes, he's the guy that I'm going to look to right now if I had to put some shekels down, which I won't, on who's going to win the tournament. But there's plenty of others here on this list that could uh, certainly be worthy of winning a green jacket. And it'll all start on Thursday, and I can't wait to see it all shake down here over the weekend. All right, now let me get to my hero and zero of the week. My hero of the week is former North Carolina coach Roy Williams, retiring from the game that he was a part of for 31 years. Excuse me, 33 years. I shortened his career by two years there. 33 years. What a masterful job that he has done. Just a big part of college basketball for so many decades. Obviously starting off with Kansas, him being the bridesmaid so many times throughout his career. And then when the opportunity came that he was going to go back to his alma mater and be a coach at the University of North Carolina, he was able to not win just one, two, but three national titles there for the men's Tar Heels. So came as a surprise. A lot of people didn't think that retirement was on his radar. A lot of people thought that he probably had a couple of years to go. We all know 900 wins, one of the greatest coaches of all time, et cetera, et cetera. But he decides to Say that's it. Time to move on to the next stage of his life and he has every right to do so. So, Coach Roy Williams, you are my hero of the week and my zero of the week goes to Tampa Bay Buccaneers cornerback Carlton Davis for posting a tweet yesterday that contained an anti-Asian slur. He thought that the term meant lame. He actually put a picture on Twitter with an urban slang dictionary of what the term meant. I'm sure you can figure it out. Uh, I forgot exactly what the quote was, but he used the term gooks, which it looked like, G-O-O-K-S. As you can see, they had the G and then the rest of the spaces, which were three other spaces to comprise of that word. Obviously, terrible judgment. Of course, he didn't know, and he apologized, and he subsequently put a few other tweets there to apologize to say that it was unbeknownst to him that this word had a negative connotation. But, hey, still... That's something in this day and age a lot of people are aware of and people would look at and say, hey, maybe I shouldn't type this or maybe let me look into this a little bit further. Obviously, he didn't. And he didn't know and I get that, but still certainly a bad optic for him, especially after coming off of a Super Bowl victory. But with that being said, my G, you are my zero of the week. And that'll do it. Episode 188, almost in the books. Of course, I have some housekeeping to take care of before we say goodbye and usually that's to the person who is not familiar with this podcast or have listened to me for a few times because I'm sure my veterans who have listened from day one they know the drill in subscribing rating and reviewing this podcast and I please implore you to do so if this happens to be one of your handful of times or first time listening to this just to help the growth and expansion of this podcast also share it on social media take a screenshot please do that as well All I want to do is just increase the visibility of this podcast. And with your help in doing so, I can attract the former or current athlete, the broadcaster, the blogger, studio host, sports writer, etc. To have them share their experiences with me, whether it's between the white lines, in the broadcast booth, in the press box, you name it. 
All I want to do is have that second podcast a week, which that's what I aspire to do to give you my thoughts, opinions, analysis every Monday as you will hear week in and week out and then later in the week on a Thursday to have that special guest come on. And once again, without your participation and people not knowing what this podcast is all about as I delve into everything that's happening in the world of sports, with your participation, they'll be able to know, oh, there is another podcast to go to or a guy that's going to talk all sports, not just one sport or two sports or fantasy sports. So please, if you could do that, I would sincerely and greatly appreciate that. As I said earlier, if you want to reach out with a question, comment, criticism, praise, whatever it may be, you could do so on any of my social media accounts, whether on Instagram at JReels or the JReels podcast, which is strictly sports. On Twitter, JReels1, just a number. On Facebook, JReels podcast fan page. And if you want to send me an email the old-fashioned way, you could do so at the podcast gmail.com. Again, Please feel free to hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you ASAP. And then lastly, when it comes to the podcast on a whole, the production, everything that takes place behind the scenes in order to put this podcast out week in and week out, if you want to contribute to that, you could do so at www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. Patreon is P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N as in Nancy. And whatever you want to contribute, I don't care what it is, I would not only be sincerely grateful, but also thankful for your participation. That's just the upkeep of the website, equipment, production, everything that takes place when it comes to producing this podcast, because whether you do or do not know, this is in the blood, people. It's in my DNA to talk sports pretty much since birth, since I came out of the womb. This is what I love to do, and I'm going to continue to do it as long as I'm on God's green earth. So anything that's happening in the world of sports, I love to dissect, digest, regurgitate, and then share it all with you, whether it's on the diamond, the ice, the gridiron, the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it, from my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast... On the flip, baby.